welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a treat for you today. Um, I have the author of a new book um, that I <laughs> I spent all last night and this morning reading. I couldn't put it down. Um, and it is about a subject that we all deal with in one way or another, some more successfully and happily ever after than others, and that is finding your soulmate, finding your husband or wife, finding the person who you want to spend the rest of your life with. And um, this is a story um, that really demonstrates how love has changed over the years or how mating, I should say, how marriage finding a partner has changed over the years and how in some ways it's the same. My guest is Penrose Halson. She is the author of this new book called The Marriage Bureau, The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. Now, um, Penrose will will start out by giving us this kind of the the, um, the chronology of this story, how she beca- ever came to uh, to own a matchmaking service, um, and particularly interesting because she, when she was 25 in 1966, uh, her mother packed her off to a marriage bureau because at 25 in those days, she was thought to be, as they say in England, on the shelf. <laughs> and so she went from um, being a client of this marriage bureau to ultimately owning the bureau and another one. But I, I get ahead of myself. Before she owned the bureau, um, she also had a previous life as a teacher, an editor, and a writer, uh, particularly writing books relating to language such as uh, I Can Read French, Famous and Fabulous Animals, Wellington's Way to Learn Spanish, etc. Um, but I think the more, and of course now she's continuing her writing career, um, with, with a book that there was before this, Happily Ever After, How to Meet Your Match, and now this book, The Marriage Bureau. Um, well, first of all, Penrose, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you, your book made me want to open a marriage bureau. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's very hard work, but it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. <laughs> yes. Well, let's, um, let us start with, as you do in your book, actually, um, the, the very origins of the first, um, really it was the first, or certainly the most notable, if not the first, Marriage Bureau in uh, England, um, and with the, with the, well, tell us how it started. I'm not, I don't want to, why don't you just tell us how it started? Go ahead. <laughs> it, Once it, upon a time. It was really the first, it was the first Marriage Bureau that endured and, and was 
widely known and had a, a mass of clients. There were little sort of potty local ones before, but they all healed over quite, uh-huh. quite rapidly. And, but this one was set up by two really remarkable pioneering young women. They were 24, 25, Heather Jenner and Mary Oliver, and both of them had been out in India and Ceylon, and Heather had married out there, and Mary had got engaged, in fact, twice, and broken it off twice. And Mary's uncle told her, just before she sailed back to England, that she was now aware of how many thousands and thousands of single men there were in places run by the British Empire, like India, Ceylon, Africa, who were absolutely panting for a wife. They were lonely, they were single, they were sex-starved, they had no family, and they had to save up their leave for years and sail to England, no aeroplanes, um, to find a wife. And his uncle said to Mary, look, when you get back to England, why don't you help these poor chaps, introduce them to your girlfriends? Anyway, that was the origins of this. And these two young women, very uh, well-born and well-spoken, glamorous, Set up, they got a little tiny office in Bond Street, very smart, fashionable street in central London, and they opened the marriage bureau. And all their friends and officials and bank managers and so on thought it was you know, a high-class brothel. They, they were very, very disapproving. But these two girls persisted, and they set up, and immediately the press thought they were simply a wonderful story because all the other stories in April 1939 were grim because war was looming. And the press wrote up these two young women, and they just took off like a rocket, marrying people. That was the start. Yes. Um, You know, when you think about it, it was uh, all these marriages that they set up, and so much had to do with fate. I mean, um, their their intuitiveness and so on. But so many of the stories, the people just seemed fated for for each other. And I was just thinking as you were talking how um, if those two women hadn't met you know, by fate, mm-hmm. um, all these couples wouldn't have happened. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Um, that certainly was fate about it, but they did meet, and, of course, the couples that they put together, it was, it was not fate. It was a lot of very careful, skillful matchmaking, and they had a quite a, a, a almost scientific approach. Um, shall I tell you about how they match people? Yes, yes, go ahead. <laughs> okay, well... A, a, a very fundamental um, a criterion was class, because you know Britain in those days was still very, very um, much run along class lines. People knew their place, their one class or another, or this, and uh, all the clients almost always wanted to meet somebody of their own class, background, education, aspirations, and so on. So the, um, the matchmakers developed this. A remarkable classification system. I'll tell you briefly. Um, it started at the top. They, they gave everybody, all their clients, a, a, a classification. At the top, there was lady and gent. They were upper class, um, not necessarily with a title, but definitely of superior breeding, of course. And then the next one down was gent for here and lady for here. Um, those were upper middle class, um, public school. That's your private school. Right. And, and then next down, near gent and near lady, which are also known as half gent and half lady. And those were middle class with a professional background. And then below that, gentish and ladyish. 
and then below that, WC, which I'm sure you can guess, working class. But working class was soon replaced by something you certainly won't guess, MBTM, much better than most, or even MBTS, much better than some. And all these categories um, were allocated to clients, and they were introduced to people of the same or very near category. Of course, there were all sorts of other things like height and age and um, um, religion, which was nearly always some kind of Christian, um, because everybody was then, and personal knowledge of the clients, which developed because one of the great things about this whole system was that the clients were in touch with the matchmakers, and they would report back to the matchmakers on their, their feelings, their reactions to the people they met. So the matchmakers could get an increasingly um, accurate picture, the sort of person that might suit. And when somebody wandered in, they might think, ah, Miss X, just right, because they had got to know um, Miss X. So it was, it was a very um, subtle and complex system, and it, it worked innumerable times. By 1946, they'd, they'd married, they'd made 2,000 marriages to the Bureau. Quite remarkable, really. Yes, it's amazing. And what's especially amazing is that it was um, such a personal touch. I mean, even though their registry was swelling um, from the beginning, you know, as they started, um, they never lost it. They knew who all the clients were. They did have that instinct about, oh, you'd, you'd be perfect for so-and-so. And then yeah. it was that personal touch that they were able to give all these people, even though there kept being more and more clients. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it worked. Well, they did work incredibly hard. They used to just have fish cakes um, beside the desk and live on fish cakes because they couldn't stop working. They thought the fish cakes were more slimming than um, any other proper food. So they didn't, they didn't initially um, even manage to go out to eat or to uh, go to the dressmaker or anything. So it was partly hard work and partly you develop a, a, a sort of instinct. And, of course, people often had very particular odd requirements that stuck in the mind, you know, like, um, oh, I'll read you one or two. And somebody, one man said that the woman he met must be a good cook, able to make jam and dress poultry and rabbits, and she must reside in Yorkshire. <laughs> That's fairly specific and, and quite memorable. Yes. And, and uh, uh, there's another man who said he wanted to meet Marilyn Monroe with homely ways. <laughs> well, <Yes>. there's a, <laughs> a challenge. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and homely meaning... Um, not domestic. looking homely, meaning like a, 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 a like a housekeeper or like a domestic, someone yes. who likes to yes. be domestic or around the house. Not the complete opposite of you know film style glamour. Right, right. <laughs> but he wanted both. <laughs> and there well, was a woman who said that she wanted to meet somebody who was educated and good looking and self assured and mechanically minded and handy around the house, and he must have wavy hair. <laughs> now they, you know, they of course tried to um, to fit all these, fill all these wishes 
Yes. But sometimes the people had to co- compromise a little. I mean, they had to pick out which were the most, you know, was wavy hair really necessary? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it was very much a matter of um, sorting the, the the most important from the the, the the sort of frills, really. Yes. Some, of course, were quite impossible. There was one woman who said uh, she obviously had a, a horror of family. She said, "I would prefer his mother and grandmother to be dead." <laughs> <laughs> That's not something that any matchmaker um, can can um, work out. Control. No. <laughs> Well, now, okay, let's, um, so there, so they started this, uh, this marriage bureau, which became incredibly successful, yeah. and, um, and then, and then, um, I guess the next thing is you, that was in 1939 that they started, so then the yeah. next thing would be you in 1966 being packed off to the Catherine, a different marriage Bureau, right. the Catherine Allen Marriage and Advice Bureau that was based upon the 1939 Marriage Bureau. Yeah. Um, and and ha- what was that experience like for you? Um, well, at the time, I, I, my mother was a very determined lady, and um, my brother and two sisters had all married very young. My older sister married at 19, um, and she, my mother... You know, just thought, as everybody did then, that you, you, know, you, you, you grew up, you got married, and t- 25 was, was getting pretty near um, being not quite unmarriageable, but definitely on the shelf. And she just said quite firmly, you know, how about going to this lady, Catherine Allen, who had set up her bureau in 1960, a very almost identical um, procedure to... Um, Heather Jenner Marriage Bureau, and um, I quite um, dutifully just just went. Um, I could have I could have said no, 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 I'm not going to, but I, there didn't seem to be any point. That I didn't feel you know, humiliated or bashed or or failure or upset or anything. I just I just went, and Catherine Allen was uh, uh, another formidable woman. She was. Oh, Irish American and um, the goddaughter of Ellen Terry, very statuesque, and she sat you down. She sat everybody down, whatever time of day, and poured you a huge glass of sherry, <laughs> which was meant to make you be more communicative, I think. Mm-hmm. And she just uh, asked me, the sort of person I wanted to meet, what my background was, and so on and so forth. And she pointed out that my, my I was a bit overweight. My midriff could do with some looking <laughs> after. She. She pulled no punches at all, gave me a diet sheet, and said she could introduce me to some men, including men up to 40, and I thought that was much too old, but she was very forceful. Um, and I did meet several men through her, and I, it, it, it was an interesting experience. And in fact, years and years later, it was a very useful experience because I knew what it was like to be on the, on the other side. And I know it, it does take... It did take a certain amount of, of from concealing your feelings and 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 a sort of courage to, to to go along and look at the problem so um, closely. To look at the problem closely, mm. what do you mean? Well, the problem of of you know, almost everybody feels if they haven't found somebody to marry by the time they, in inverted commas, should have done or they wanted to, 
them that they are somehow a failure, which yeah. is a very common problem when I took over the Bureau. People felt yes. that they shouldn't have to mm-hmm. um, seek help. And, mm-hmm. and you, you, you do, you do feel that. So now you met your current husband, your presumably only husband. My one and only, yes. I'm sorry, what? My my one and only husband, yes. Yes, yes. (laughs) At 41 and not through a marriage bureau, how did you meet your husband, Bill? Oh, that was my mother again, although she didn't realize it this time. She saw an advertisement for a man had placed in a Mensa magazine um, wanting a room in London, um, to cut a long story short, it, it turned out to be Bill. Um, he did rent the spare room in my flat, which was the reason my mother put me in touch with the advertisement. And he, uh, I was always away at weekends at the time, so he came to my flat at the weekends, and he had he'd found himself another room in another flat in London that was available only in the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> Usually, on a Friday evening... I handed the keys over to Bill, went off um, somewhere in the country or whatever for my weekend, and he took over the flat. And on Sunday nights, we did it in reverse. And gradually, over the years, we coincided more. And eight years later, we got married. <laughs> how many, I'm sorry, how many years later? Eight. Huh. I was then, 48 when I married, yeah. Do you, do you think your mother um, had something, had marriage in mind when she put you in touch with Bill to rent the, a room in the flat? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think, well, I don't know, she, she might have done, she might. She, she had before that advertised me in, in, in a, 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 a weekly magazine, um, and I'd met somebody through that, that was very much. <laughs> she she would have made or she did make a good matchmaker. Well, yes, I, yes. I'm just hearing the um, the music, which means yes. we have to take a break. Um, this is you have such remarkable stories, and we've just started uh, again. Uh, my guest is Penrose Halson. Her book is called The Marriage Bureau: The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get right back to my guest, Penrose Halston. Her book is called The Marriage Bureau, The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. Now, she is talking, uh, these two, the two uh, matchmakers that she writes about are the ones that she, who she mentioned, Heather Jenner and Mary Oliver, the ones who started the, um, the real first marriage bureau in London, um, and, and the one upon which Catherine Allen, uh, Marriage and Advice Bureau, based her bureau. And um, so, so I was asking during the break about um, how it came to be that you did, um, because here you had, you know, uh, this career uh, as an, an editor and a teacher and a writer and so on, and how did it happen that you then uh, wound up buying the Catherine Allen Bureau? Well, that was uh, mainly Bill and, and a friend of, of ours. The, the friend um, said one day that she only knew one other person in, in W1, which is central London, um, apart from ourselves, and that was Catherine Allen, and that Catherine Allen was a friend of hers, was in her 70s, was thinking of retiring. And Bill thought that I would be very good at running a marriage bureau. At the time, I was teaching in a comprehensive school in North London. I, I, I wasn't teaching at all. It was an absolute nightmare. I couldn't keep order. I lost a lot of weight, which was the very good thing about it, but I wasn't teaching. And Bill thought, wonderful marriage bureau. And we wrote to Catherine Allen mm. and, and said, could I, uh, could, could I help her? And she wrote back and said, no, she was selling it. Um, um, she would pass my name on to any successor and Bill said well why don't we buy it and I thought that was absolutely lunatic <laughs> he, he had uh, observed me do you want to hear him say why he thought I'd be good at it sure well I have to confess Carol that uh, for many years um, I was a professional uh, behavioral analyst and a career counsellor huh so, although I, I never, in fact, put Penrose through the mill, um, I just saw that she got this ability to put people together at parties and dinners and things like that, who you'd never have thought of putting together, but it worked. I thought, hmm. And as a mere man, I thought, well, this is clearly female intuition, but it's working. Uh-huh. Anyway, that was my decision, and uh, Penrose went along with it, and we bought the Bureau. And it was an, an extremely good move, because <laughs> it did suit down to the ground. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and, and um, that, was, that was two years before the two of you got married. Yes. Um, that was in 1986, and you got married in uh, 1988. Yeah. And um, so how did, I mean, you were planning on getting married, I guess, before, oh, yes. before that, but yes. how did uh, running a marriage bureau affect your relationship? Ooh, I, 
I have to tell you, I'm afraid, Carol, I don't think it made any any difference, except that we, we had a, a very good time together uh, running it, because we, we worked extremely well uh, as, as a partnership. Bill did all the accounts, which, which are absolute you know, Greek to me, the figures, um, and he did the advertising, and he did all the sort of system stuff, and I did all the interviewing and the actual matching, and it, it, it worked brilliantly, so I suppose... Um, the only effect it had on us was was that um, we we had an even better time together. <laughs> uh huh. But it also must have, you know, in your conversations about uh, different couples or different people looking for love, it must have mm-hmm. made for some interesting conversation about uh, things that people wanted and didn't want, and what you wanted and didn't want, and that kind of like what was important in a relationship. Oh yes, yes. I think yes, we did we did discuss we did discuss people, but not. Not all that much, um, because truthfully, we, we didn't have that much time. Um, <laughs> no, I was full-time with the matchmaking. It really, the diff- one difference between the Catherine Allen Bureau and Heather Jenner Bureau was that I was the sole interviewer, Catherine Allen. Mm. Heather Jenner had more than one interviewer. In fact, they gradually had three or four. Mm-hmm. So it, I really was uh, 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 up to the eyeballs all the time. Yeah. And we didn't... We didn't um, Going for great discussions. Um, now it seems like um, so you were like the Heather Jenner uh, part of the duo, yes. and um, Bill was like the Mary Oliver, the more practical. Uh, although Mary, in their bureau, she, both of them did the matchmaking. But um, yes. but you know it, it made me one of the things that I was wondering. Well, first of all, when I was reading the book, I often found myself. Um, feeling confused about whether it, like, I, I saw you and Heather as melded. You know, she was a writer before she was a matchmaker, and, um, and then she, she did, they did write books uh, about the, uh, the Marriage Bureau as, as they were doing it and so on. And I just saw you as the character, or as, <laughs> she's a real person, <laughs> as Heather. Um, uh, and, and, um, and I was wondering, I, I really was very curious about Heather and Mary. Did Heather ever, Heather did not seem super happy in her marriage. I mean, first she went to Scotland and she, the countryside and being domestic, uh, she wasn't that cooking and all of that was not for her, not to mention uh, dealing with the pigs and the other animals. <laughs> um, did she stay married to that man for the rest of her life or did she get no, divorced? No, she, she was... She was, in fact, married four times. Ah. Um, no, she didn't. The, the, Michael Cox, whom she married in 1942 and went to Scotland with, she did um, uh, have two children with, and she yes. did ultimately divorce. And she remarried to uh, a writer called Stephen Potter, whom I, I don't expect you know in America, but he was quite a very well-known humorous writer in this hmm. country. And she had another child by him, who very sadly um, died of drugs uh, at Eton, mm. and um, and after he, Stephen Potter died, she she married again. So she did. She had uh, a, a much more um, full as a married career than than, than I, and she was she was quite unlike me in many ways. She was a very shrewd businesswoman. Heather was interested in running a business and making some money. Mary was much more. I, I think, um, uh, sentimental, imaginative. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, the, the trouble is, she, Mary is a very enigmatic figure. I tried to find out more about her, but it was very difficult. She did, in the end, marry an American. In fact, I think she married two. She was widowed. Um, somebody high up in General Motors, and she, she lived in America. But she, she sort of vanished off the scene in a rather you know, unknown way. And her, Heather Jenner's daughter did tell me that it's possible that Mary and Heather fell out because she said her mother, who was a very strong character, Heather Jenner, did tend to fall out with people. Mm. So it, 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 it's, it's, Mary is definitely an, an enigma. Yes, it was. Yes, I, I wanted to know what happened to her in America. I know it's, it that does seem strange. Mm. So you're saying that that's why Mary left for America, besides having found an American man to marry. That I mean, that's because she left the bureau yes. before she got married, right? I don't know because nobody knows where she married. She whether uh-huh. she married in America or oh. here. And she had changed her name in the first place from Audrey. Right. So she was, she was, she's definitely an elusive person. And I, I don't know a, a great mm-hmm. deal. I've tried and tried to find out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Heather Jenner's daughter um, has told me a great deal about her mother. Mm-hmm. And, and Heather is a much more in the forefront personality. Yes. And... um. I mean, you know, it doesn't. You didn't write about her, her subsequent husbands in the book, but I just had a feeling from what you did write about how things weren't going very well with um, Michael Cox. Michael Cox. No, you're quite that, right. That wasn't going to last very long. That's very the, interesting. The book ended in 1949, and and, and at that time, um, Heather was still married to Michael Cox. Stephen Potter came later, mm-hmm. so that's why there's no mention. So tell us about how there you were operating the Catherine Allen Marriage and Advice Bureau and starting in 1986. And then, um, lo and behold, 1992, uh, Heather's daughter, who I guess... so. Well, yes, um, did, did you... So I gather you never met Mary uh, because she was in the States by then. But, but did you meet Heather? Very briefly once, very briefly. But she died in 1991, and she was, I think, ill for quite a bit before that. Uh-huh. But her daughter, um, um, who is a bit younger than me, um, took over the Bureau, and at a time when it was becoming harder and harder to run a marriage bureau in this country, because marriage was falling out of favor, and all sorts of other agencies had set up computer dating, masses of things calling themselves introduction agencies, more or less dodgy, some of them. And um, it was just becoming more difficult. And um, in 1992, the Heather Jenner Marriage Bureau had a, a horrendous rate increase, rent increase, sorry, of 700% in the little offices that they'd had since 1939. And it was a, a time when the business wasn't doing terribly well, and mm. no business can stand then that rent increase. And mm-hmm. Heather Jenner's daughter, Stella, came around to me and said she really could not continue. Would I look after her clients? And so that's what I did. Took them over and the, the two bureaus became one. And at that, soon after, um, Stella gave me all these incredible archives of her mother's, which had been sitting and um, mouldering in a large barn in huh. the country. 
because they'd all been bundled up like mad when they had to clear out of the office. And I got photo albums and ledgers and, and, and registration forms and letters and wedding telegrams and books and all sorts of stuff. So that's really what gave me the material for um, the book, The Marriage Yes, Business. yes, yes. Of course, that is, you know, really astounding. I mean, the stories that you are able to tell in this book in so much detail yeah. about the people who came to the Bureau starting back in 1939... Yes. Yes. Um, looking for a, a, a spouse um, yes. and what happened and how they met and which ones they liked and they didn't like. I mean, it's such detailed and, and that you were able to draw all that from, the, from these things that you just mentioned, from these yes. records. Yes. It, 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 it was a stroke of, of, of pure luck um, well, for me that, that, you know, that, that, that the Heather Jenner Sadley Bureau did become unable to continue because otherwise I would never have got all this remarkable archive. So when the two bureaus combined, were you still, did you continue as the only matchmaker? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, well, I say it was was, uh, full-time, full-on, but it it was worth it for the... There were some wonderful results, um, some pretty uh, hairy times as well. I mean, there, was some, there were some. Not every client is, is lovely, to put yeah. it mildly. Um, yeah. And uh, you, you, there are some people who are extremely difficult to please, usually because they've got completely wrong, uh, over-the-top expectations, and they can, be, they can end up very sadly. But there were also um, sad things that, that happened in... in, in, in Heather Jenner as well, like you know, a, a, a client um, dying or committing suicide or um, falling ill just after getting married, which is, mm. there, were, there were some very sad things, but all in all, it was a most wonderful um, experience, and I've got some marvellous friends from it, and mm-hmm. I do work away um, at the children of some of these, of the, of the marriages that I created, and I, I think now she's only six. That little girl. But <laughs> when she's about another twenty years, I'll have to leave a codicil in my will saying she should meet. <laughs> yes, there we go. Now that's another book. You know, that's another book um, for all the everything that you know about these children now, and then sort of uh, yeah, matching them together, or what kind of person they should marry. <laughs> there we go. So now in two thousand. You closed, or, or you you stopped doing this. Did you sell these this combined bureau, or did you, yes. did you close it, or what? No, we we sold, we sold, and I'm afraid, very sadly, that the the person who took it over did not appreciate um, how what hard work it was, nor the extremely private, personal nature of the whole thing, and she. Um, didn't she didn't make a success of it and, and it sort of faded away in about I don't know exactly when because the fading was gradual I think but in about two or three years I think it, after that it didn't exist anymore which is a very um, sad thing because I think it, it it did a lot of good yes absolutely that is sad you would think that maybe she should have um, or would have thought of uh, involving somebody else if she wasn't able to do what was necessary. Well, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what what her thought processes were. Mm-hmm. But I just know it. Is, that that was the end of it, sadly. 
Well, well, you know, that kind of brings us to um, something else that I wanted to talk about, which was um, how love and marriage uh, has changed from 1939 to today. Maybe um, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, those years, like the early years and going through the war and so on and what what that was like. Yes, certainly. Well, I mean, the, the, the war, I think, is, is an, a, a major factor because it's been said that you know, war is an aphrodisiac, and I, I do think that that's right because fear pulls people together and you know, bombs do, do bond people. And when you consider what it was like in this country you know, with the blackout, everything was dark of, after at the end of daylight time. People couldn't see. People were huddling together in bomb shelters, sleeping on the underground, um, on the stairs. Uh, people were, uh, things were sandbagged up. There was, there was bombs falling. It was, it was a very unnerving time. And that was, uh, it, 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 it drew people together. And it also made single people long to have their own sort of personal ally in a husband or a wife. And they, they were they wanted, uh, they placed their emphasis on very basic things. There was none of this, you know, um, I've got to have a wonderful, attractive soulmate or something. Mm-hmm. They wanted things like, um, um, well, one woman said, I want a man of character. I don't mind if he's a war wreck. Because, of course, there were a lot of, of men very damaged um, physically and mentally by war. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, um we're going to need to take another break right now, but let's leave it there and come back to that because that it is so amazing how people today um, look for such superficial things when they, you yeah. know, when they're doing um, Match.com, for example. You know, well, we'll talk more about all of this when we come back. Yep. Um, my guest is Penrose Halson. Her book is called The Marriage Bureau: The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Penrose Halston, the author of The Marriage Bureau, The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. And um, we were starting to talk about the evolution of love and marriage uh, before the break, so let's continue with that, Penrose. Evolution, right. Um, okay, well, I say in um, the early days, the requirements of people were very much more practical and straightforward than they, they are now. Um, people specified um, things to do with money, things to do with class, things to do with um, just practical life. Um, for example, um, somebody wanted um, a homely man with just a cinema or theater now and again. Um, a, a, a young woman wanted... Um, <laughs> no, sorry, it's a young man who said she, she can wear glasses or be lame rather than the butterfly type, didn't want the, the butterfly type, wanted people who were reliable, responsible, loyal. Um, some men, of course, had uh, 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 rather more exotic requirements. This man, he wanted somebody very wealthy or devastatingly beautiful. Miss Mayfair, Miss Beautiful, Miss Rich, or Miss Heaven. Well, he was an optimist. Um, but the emphasis was on um, getting through life with somewhere to live, Bear in mind, lots of people lost their homes. They were they were bombed. They lost their jobs because when the factory where they worked was was bombed, they, the the work went with it. The job went with it. Um, they had very little food. Um, rationing went on until 1954 in this country, and um, anybody that had a, a sort of solid basis, somewhere to live, um, with enough food and enough money, was really what most people were, were after. There were, of course, chances um, wanting to, to latch on to a, a rich woman or a rich man, but fortunately, the Bureau got pretty good at spotting those. And the second line of defense against initial spotting in an interview was that if any client suspected that somebody was just after their money, mm. it would report back to the Bureau and that person would be not given any more introductions. Mm. So it was a very useful fallback. But and, uh, even after the war, austerity in this country was terrifically strong, and people um, were living in a very, very basic way, and their requirements were very basic. Um, and particularly after the war, there was a great deal of divorce because so many people had, been, uh, had their lives ripped apart by the war, um, husbands may have been away fighting and come back, but they were either very different people, having been through concentration camps or torture or just absence, um, and the wives that they'd left behind had often started an affair with somebody, in one case, in many cases probably, a German POW, well that, you can imagine, uh, caused enormous tensions leading uh -huh. to divorce, so then there was remarriage. So for many years, until probably around about the 19, 1960, um, requirements were still very basic. Um, and I suppose in the 60s, 70s, 80s, as 
everything loosened up and money became more available and, and uh, people started to be much more focused on themselves as um, desirable people wanting a, a desirable person. I'm not putting this very well. Um, they started to, um, to want much more out of a, mm. a husband or mm. wife than, than basic practicalities. Um, and of course then it became much more difficult because the people were looking well, uh, everything it wrapped up in, in a single person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's not really surprising that um, especially when divorce became much more liberal that, that, that divorce is, is where it is now because people mm-hmm. would not settle for um, the kind of thing I have a quotation from a, a woman who uh, met somebody through the Bureau in about 1939, she said, I like Mr. Johnson pretty well, so I think we might as well get married. (laughs) And they did. (laughs) Yes, and that was part of it, too, that they would get married so quickly compared to today. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there are lots of examples of people came to the Bureau in September of 1946, and and in February 1947, they married. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it, or even there was one story, I remember, of a couple who met on a Monday and got married on Friday. That's right, yes. <laughs> that, that was, I think, pretty much the record. But it, it, it happened because of all the pressures. Partly, you know, that, that couple, um, he came from Ireland and, and she was here, so they came over. Uh, he came over to, to, to here for a week, met her, and bang, 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 they, they liked each other so... He got married before he went back to Ireland because it would have been much more tricky in Ireland. It wasn't her country. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it, so the, the demands on marriage have become so much heavier that, in a sense, no wonder there's so much more divorce. But um, I, can, I can tell you a story of, of, of one um, man who, in uh, 1939, one of the very earliest clients, had very simple requirements, and they, they, they were met. And he was called Cedric, Cedric Thistleton, and he, he had the most extraordinary story. Here he yeah. is. Um, where is he? <laughs> he? He was a very um, smart young man, and he came into the Bureau um, wanting um, a, a wife to take back to Malaya, where he worked, in um, five weeks' time. Mm-hmm. That, that's all he had. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the Bureau was at pains to find him somebody as quickly as they possibly could. He was astoundingly good-looking, he was immaculately dressed, and he wanted a girl of impeccable breeding, sophisticated, willing and able to bear children, to entertain grandees, and to manage a large house with servants. There must be no hint of scandal, such as divorce, debt, or drunkenness. And he was quite frightful, really. Mary, uh, who interviewed him, thought him so snobbish and arrogant, but she did introduce him to some people. He found fault with every single one, and they disliked him intensely. And one of them reported back. She said, he was frightful. Truly frightful. His brain cavity is filled with rubber, which he dealt in, and his heart with copies of Debrett, shredded very fine, as 
there is virtually no space in the teeny-weeny void which should contain his vital organ. He is the most snobbish and the most obtuse man I have met in my entire life. He could talk of nothing but his employer and his social circle in Malaya. But I don't believe that in Malaya or anywhere else in the world, anyone at all is interested in him. His own self absorbs all the interest in people of which he is capable. There is not the smallest sliver of love or kindness or interest or concern or even common courtesy left over to bestow on anyone else. If he is a true sample of your male clients, <laughs> kindly return my registration fee forthwith. <laughs> well, yes. Luckily, he did marry uh, the, uh, 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 the daughter of a lord who thought he was so ravishingly good-looking that she said, whenever I'm fed up with him, I shall simply sit and stare at him. <laughs> yeah. People, he wanted a, 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 a well-connected girl. She wanted somebody good-looking, so that's what they got, luckily. Yes, I remember him. I, and I, he was the one who, where he um, wanted someone of such high breeding and so on, but right. Mary suspected that really, and he pretended that he was of high breeding, but, but Mary suspected that he really wasn't in that, and he wanted someone uh, of that class to yes. move up in the world because to make up for really what he didn't have. That's right, yes. Yes, there's always a, a, several stories underneath, aren't there? <laughs> yes, yes. So he was, but he was not atypical of the time. And yeah, I suppose you would get a, a modern equivalent, but but he... But, Unlikely to be quite so so blunt about it, I suppose. Quite simple demand. Doesn't matter what she looks like as long as she's got um, breeding. Yes. <laughs> like a horse, Mary thought. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is so. Um, it is so interesting how things have evolved, yeah. um, and how much more superficial. I mean, now today simply, um, men are looking mostly for women looking at the attractiveness of a woman, yes. and, um, and women are looking mostly at the uh, wealth of a man. I mean, yes, of course, there are other things that take into, they, people mm-hmm. take into consideration, but that seems to be um, the number one, and, and it's because I guess because life is easier than uh, or, or certainly because women are working and can get some of these things for themselves. And, but yes. certainly it is, it, one can certainly say that we have not, we may have evolved in terms of different priorities, but we haven't evolved in terms of um, really being sensible or getting to really understanding love. No, nor to finding sort of contentment. Yes. Sadly. I mean, especially nowadays in uh, where people, I mean, it's gotten to the point where uh, people are sort of settling for hookups rather than, um, uh, you know, and it used to be that you would, there would be rules, you shouldn't have sex until the third date or something like that. And now people are having sex and not really having dates. I mean, it's just gotten, and it's just, that's just a reaction to um, uh, seeing their parents being divorced. Yes. and not wanting to be hurt like they saw their parents being hurt. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like a, a moving away from intimacy, even though in 1939 mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. You know, were looking for practical things and so on, and yes, maybe there could be other things that we look for, but, um, but now we've become so uh, wounded 
by uh, parents uh, yeah. divorce that we're not we're, we're trying to stay away we're not people are afraid to make these intimate connections yeah. and get married yeah it's all <laughs> superficial yes well, I want to make not... sure before we lose time before we run out of time uh-huh. I want to make sure that I tell people how to get to your website yes um, which is penrosehalson.com www.penrose p-e-n-r-o-s-e Halson, H-A-L-S-O-N dot com, PenroseHalson dot com. And uh, there are places on the website where um, that, that can direct you to where to purchase the book, how to purchase the book. Of course, there's always Amazon. And uh, I cannot encourage you enough to buy. I mean, this is, you know, this is a wonderful book for um, book clubs. Because um, because it leads to these kinds of discussions of where what has changed and and um, how people are really less happy today than they were in 1939 in terms of their mate, even though they were looking for just practical things. Mm. Well, possibly even because they were looking for, for practical things, which led on to other to other things or, or carried with them other things. If if somebody was a loyal, trustworthy, reliable, yes. which is all very practical. It's also emotionally very satisfactory as well. Yes, so, yes. I think you're the therapist. You know better. <laughs> well, no, that's true. And in a sense, you know, sometimes um, they, they may have chosen someone or agreed to marry someone based upon um, some of these things that aren't quite as uh, erotic or, or, you know, glamorous. Or, but, but in the end, that's what brought... Brought, allowed them to get closer to each other and to develop yes. love. Yes, you're quite right, quite right. And I think just one little point I make about matchmaking mm-hmm. is that a matchmaker, a good one, is a tremendous ally, and you can people can bounce off. And and what did you? Could you oh, sorry, people can can um, give their reactions to the matchmaker, and, and the matchmaker is is like a, the best kind of friend, but dispassionate as well, and professional, can can help enormously. Yes. Well, I think you need to come to America (laughs) (laughs) and open a marriage bureau here. You will be a major success, I can tell you. Uh, So thank you very much, Penrose Halston. This wonderful book, The Marriage Bureau, The True Story of How Two Matchmakers Arranged Love in Wartime London. Thank you so much. And thank Thank you all for listening. It's been such a pleasure. I'm glad. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.